0: 2 corinthians chapter number nine of course it's no secret that it's thanksgiving week and uh, i don't always preach with something in keeping with the season I, I try to mind the lord with whatever he would have me to do but you know some of the holidays that we have they're admirable i believe they're, they're worthy of of mentioning and commemorating uh, but some of them are really not all that closely tied to the word of god And uh, there's a lot of what we might call greeting card holidays. How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say that? Well, Thanksgiving is not one of those holidays. As you study in the Word of God, you find that thankfulness is a common theme throughout the Holy Inspired Pages. And as you study this idea of Thanksgiving, you're going to find a lot of passages. Somewhere folks are just simply giving thanks some that deal more particularly with the idea of thanksgiving. And in 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, I believe we have one of those chapters. Let's begin reading in verse number 6, and we'll read down to the end of the chapter. The Word of God says this, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever." Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God whilst by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men, and by their prayer for you which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Let's look back at verse number 11. The Bible says, "...being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this privilege to gather with your people once again. Lord, I'd ask tonight that you would take the sword of the Spirit... Lord, that the Spirit of God would wield it to work in our hearts and lives and to do that which would bring you the most glory. Lord, we love you tonight. Time would fail us to tell of all the good things that you have done and are doing for us. And Lord, by faith we know you will do for us in these days to come. So Lord, we just humbly say thank you and give you praise, honor, and glory best as we know how. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, there's a lot of interesting truth found in this portion of Scripture. Uh, Some of you may have noticed that as we began to read, the theme is actually not of thanksgiving, but rather of giving. But it's interesting to me that the idea of giving and thanksgiving go hand in hand. Let me say this, that generous people are grateful people. Somebody say amen to that. The more generous we are, the more grateful we tend to be for the things that God has given us. And let me turn it around and say this, that grateful people tend to be generous people. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he's been talking about the work that God had done in the church of Macedonia and the giving uh, that had been done and the, uh, the, the supply that had been met, the need that had been met uh, through that church and was going to be met through the church at Corinth. But he begins to relate to us this idea of giving thanks in a way that I think many of us are not familiar with. And I want us to notice just three simple thoughts tonight out of this chapter. First off, I want to say a word about the benefactor of our thanksgiving. Look at what he says in verse number 8. The Bible says, "...and God is able to make all grace abound toward you." Now, let me say this that the word grace in the Word of God uh, is a very distinct, very specific word, but it can be applied in a very broad sense. As we speak of grace, basically what we are speaking of is uh, unearned favor or unearned merit. It is, uh, you've heard the little acronym, I know that you have God's riches at Christ's expense. It's God giving us something that we do not deserve. Let me say that certainly the grace of God applies to salvation, but the grace of God applies to so much more than merely forgiveness of sins and justification in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, friend. The reason that you opened your eyes today was the grace of God. You didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve that. But we opened our eyes, we breathed free air, we uh, basked in the sunlight, we, we woke up and we had our, our, our pantries may have not been spilling over, but there's food enough to eat. We may have not had the nicest house on the block, but it kept us warm and it kept us dry. That's the grace of God. And Paul wants there to be no mistake as to where this goodness and this, this bounty and this grace is coming from. He says in verse number 8 that God is the source of that. Hey, you may have worked really, really hard. I hope that you did. I think hard work is a good thing. I think our generation needs to learn more of that. I think that hard work is a good thing. You may have worked really hard for the things that you have, but you and I both know, and I've preached it a hundred times. If I preached it once, that the very reason you had health to do it was because God allowed it. God is the source of all these good things. The book of James uh, emphasizes that to us, that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We know that these things come from God. But in light of the giving that Paul is talking about, and the blessing that Paul is talking about, and the gratitude that Paul is talking about, he wants us to understand that if we gave, we only gave because God first gave it to us. And that if someone gives to us, it may be them giving it to us, but they only have it to give because God gave to them anyway. And I'll go ahead and tell you, I'll spoil my sermon, alright? This is a spoiler alert. Are you ready? It all comes down to the glory of God. That's what this whole thing about thanksgiving is about, is giving glory to God who deserves all glory. And so he points backward and he says the reason that all this is happening in your life and the reason that you've been able to have an effect in the lives of others and others have been able to have an effect in your life is because God is able to provide for you and He can use many means to do that. And he describes God in three different ways that I think are important. In verse number 8, let me say that He is a sufficient Benefactor, Look at what it says. It says, "...and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work." Now, it's interesting to me that it does not say all splendor. Now, there's some Christians, I know, they've got a lot of uh, 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 of splendor in their life. They've got a lot of wealth, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, God bless them. That's wonderful if God has done that in their life. But God never made the promise that He would give them splendor. God didn't make the promise that He was going to have your bank account with more zeros than you could count. God never made the promise that uh, your pantries would always be bursting open. God never made the promise that you'd always drive the nicest car, wear the nicest clothes. But God did make this promise to you, that He would always be sufficient for your needs. And you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, It could be that we don't open our eyes on another day. It could be that someone you love doesn't open their eyes on another day. It could be when you wake up tomorrow, you wake up in grief and sorrow. I can't promise you what tomorrow will hold, but I can promise you that the one who holds tomorrow will be sufficient for that day. I don't know what's going to happen to your finances. I wish I could tell you, you know, but nobody can tell you. I mean, that's the truth. You see these guys all the time. They're they're selling DVDs and, and lecture series and seminars and all that. And, man, they're going to tell you. I mean, they got that secret that nobody wants you to know about, right? You've heard them talk about that on the radio. This is a secret. And they'll, they'll say, this is a secret that none of, the, none of the financial people want you to know about. And yet they let that guy get on the radio and tell you about it. And that don't make no sense, does it? And they'll always say, you know, this is a surefire thing. There's no surefire things. But I can promise you this, and this is surefire. This is a promise of God that if your bank account was to be empty tomorrow, if God had to, He'd send ravens to feed you. He'll do whatever's needed to meet your needs. I think sometimes we get a little quote-unquote spiritual and we try to pretend like those temporal needs don't matter. And let me say that eternal needs are far greater than than temporal needs. There's no question about that. Let me tell you something, it, it, you got to have food to eat, right? I, don't be a hypocrite, Thanksgiving's two days away, all right? I'm going to see if you're still being that quiet on Thanksgiving when they say, there's just a little bit more turkey left. Some of you won't be that quiet on Thanksgiving. You'll hurry up and shout. I mean, you got to have food to eat, you got to have clothes to wear. you got to have these things. It may not be the nicest that everyone has. But I promise you this, that God has never let the righteous be forsaken. Never let His seed be begging bread. He's sufficient. He's a sufficient benefactor. Look at verse number 9. This is interesting. This is a quote out of the 112th Psalm. Verse 9 is, it says, "...as it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, He hath given to the poor, His righteousness remaineth forever." Now, one of the things I love about the way that God inspired Paul to write is that God used Paul as the first ever New Testament commentator. And time and time again in Paul's writings, you'll hear him say, hey, somewhere in the Old Testament it says this, and here's what it means. Well, this is what he's doing. He's pointing backwards to the 112th Psalm, and he's saying, you know, you remember back in the book of Psalms for it says he hath dispersed abroad. You remember when he said that. What's he talking about, dispersing abroad? Well, in verse number 10 he says this, now he that ministereth seed to the sower. He's talking about the work of the sower in scattering the seed abroad. Now, you and I, if we're fellow laborers with God, that's what we are. We're seed sowers. That's the business that God's in, is getting the gospel to the hearts and ears and minds of lost individuals. And you and I, inasmuch as we are working and laboring in the cause of Christ, we ought to be sharing the gospel. We're fellow laborers with God. That's what we ought to be. But now, what does that mean? He says this he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor. Now, notice the next phrase. Now, he that ministereth seed to the sower, both ministereth bread for your food. Now, I, I, you know, I wish I could tell you that everybody that was a servant of God was always laid up with all kinds of riches and treasures in this world, but that's not the reality of things. When Christ walked this earth, He didn't have a place to lay His head. He didn't have a place to call home. Why would we think that Creflo Dollar can get on and tell us anything's different than that? Amen? Why would we? Oh, my, do we have some Creflo Dollar fans or something? It, uh, he, he's going to gonna, he's gonna cref All your dollars if you're not careful. I mean, listen. These guys can get on and tell you that that you know that it's God's will that you own a multi-million dollar house, and that's fine. Evidently, they think it was God's will for them to own one because they'll take every penny that you've got to build theirs. Amen. They don't give a thought to you. I wish I could tell you that, every, that that the moment you got born again, that meant you was never going to have money troubles again. I wish I could tell you that the moment you got born again, you was never going to have to worry about anything ever again. Certainly, we shouldn't worry. We should trust God. But it's just the frailty of human flesh and human nature to worry. And there's times when our faith is growing and we have to uh, trust God with certain situations. Isn't it good to know, listen carefully, that not only do we have a sufficient benefactor, but we have a sensitive benefactor. He says this, "...he that ministereth seed to the sower also ministereth bread for your food." In other words, if he puts you in the field, then he'll fix you lunch. Right? If he puts you working in the field, then he'll fix your lunch. If you're laboring in His work, if you're laboring in His cause, the same one that put you in that field, that gave you the seed of the Word of God, that gave it to you and said, cast it abroad, do my work, do my labor, is the very same one that He knows when you get hungry. He knows when you get troubled. See, God knows what's going on. God knew about that bill before you ever got that bill. Now, hey, we're going to talk about Thanksgiving in a minute. You just hang with me. God knew about that before you ever knew about it. Man, God knew about your needs, be they financial or physical or emotional, and certainly about our spiritual needs, before you ever had a clue that you needed. Who was it that told you, use a sinner? It's the Word of God that did that. Use a sinner before you ever knew you was a sinner. But guess what? God knew you was a sinner before you knew you were a sinner. So you know what He did? He sent the Word of God and the Spirit of God to reveal to you that need, but He knew about it before you ever knew about it. Now, that's true of all of our needs not just of that greatest of needs of soul salvation. He's sensitive to the needs that we have. The same one that puts you in the field is the same one that's watching to meet your needs. Then notice verse number 10. We'll look back at verse number 9. Notice the last phrase. Again, this is a commentary, right? Paul is is giving a commentary on this verse out of the 112th Psalm. And he says he hath dispersed abroad. Now, what does that mean? Well, Paul tells us, ministereth seed to the sower. He says that uh, that he hath given uh, bread, given or he hath given to the poor. And in verse number ten, he explains that is the same one uh, that ministers bread for your food and multiply your seed sown. And then he says this: His righteousness remaineth forever. And in verse number ten, how does he explain that? He says this: He multiplies your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. In other words, we have a sufficient benefactor and a sensitive benefactor, but I'm thankful we have a sovereign benefactor that is doing a work in our lives and is providing for us according to the work that he's attempting and seeking and endeavoring to do. He says this, uh, basically, can I I boil it down? Paul basically says this, the same one that puts you in the field, knows when you have a need and he wants you in the field because he's going to multiply the seed that is sown and he's going to uh, cause his righteousness to remain forever and he's going to increase the increase the fruits of your righteousness now I want you to listen carefully it doesn't it doesn't go uh let me say this right it doesn't behoove God to starve his children right doesn't i mean It it is of no benefit to God whatsoever to starve His children. Now, I'm not saying, again, I want to be clear, I'm not saying that God's going to bring you a a ribeye steak, but I am saying He won't let you go hungry. He's going to meet your needs. So He says a word about the benefactor of our thanksgiving. It all begins with God. That's where everything that we've got comes from. But then He says a word about the bounty of our thanksgiving. Look at verse number 11. I like this. It says, "...being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God." Now, there's a lot of truth found in there. I want to break it down to you this way. I want you to notice three things about it. Notice, first off, the prestige of our bounty. There's an interesting word that's used there. It's the word enriched. You'll only find it three times in the Bible. But that word, enrich, has the idea of material wealth. Now, the truth is, each and every one of us, I mean, there's folks all over this city that's got a lot more money than we do and has a lot more money than we ever will. But God looks at you and I, and when God is meeting our needs, you know what He says? He looks at you and He says, You, my friend, are a wealthy person. There's no greater wealth, listen to me, than a blood-kin relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of lords. We're heirs of God, we're joint heirs with Christ. Made me think of the old song uh, that talks about, it's, it's not what you see that makes me a king. You and I, we are wealthy beyond measure, not because we've got a big bank account or because we've got any of those other temporal things, but because we have a God that owns the cattle on a thousand hills and He is sensitive to the needs that we have. I'm reminded of what uh, the uh, writer of Proverbs said. And I don't believe it was Solomon. You know, uh, almost all of of Proverbs was written by Solomon. But there's a couple of the Proverbs that are not written by Solomon. And and one of them uh, speaks of this. He talks about uh, how that he prayed and asked God that God wouldn't give him so much that he'd wax complacent and lazy on God, but that God would give him enough that he'd never go and steal and blaspheme. You know, God has promised to always meet our needs. That's more sure than the stock market. That's more sure than than, than any kind of retirement plans that we have. I'm not against those things. If you want to get them, God bless you. God may use that to meet your needs someday. But I'm telling you this, it doesn't matter whether you haven't got savings one. It doesn't matter whether you don't have a single plan in place. It doesn't matter whether you don't have a big bank account or any kind of 401k set out to meet your needs. If you're saved, then you're a child of God. And He will meet your needs. He will meet your needs. He speaks of the prestige of our bounty. He speaks of the product of our bounty. Notice what He says, "...being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God." Now, here's where... And that wasn't an introduction. I'm halfway through my message. Don't get nervous. But here's what I really, really want to drive home to you, is there's a perspective that Paul is conveying to us. Look what it says in verse number 12. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the one of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Now, here's what I want you to really grasp hold up. I think we've been looking at this thing of thanksgiving all too wrong. You see, we set a day aside to do nothing but give thanks. That's wonderful. But Paul says this, that When God does these things in our life, when He provides for us, when He meets needs, that's abundant, not just because the need has been met, but because it's an opportunity for thanksgiving and to praise God. I would challenge you to something. As you begin to, you know, we're going to pass this this Thanksgiving season. I mean, if the Lord tarries his coming, we will, like we always do and we're going to roll on into December, and we're going to roll on into January and February, and however long the Lord allows us to go. And God's going to keep being good to you and me. Will you keep being thankful to Him? That's the question. You see, when God provides something for you, do you see it merely as a need has been met, or a door has been opened to say something about the goodness of God in your life? When God meets that financial need or meets that physical need, I mean, we've got people everywhere it has got physical needs. Every time we turn around, here when we go to close this service, there's going to be prayer requests given. And if we didn't finally just kind of kind of slow down and and, and, and uh, go ahead and pray, we could be here all night and all of tomorrow and all of the next day with physical needs. Oftentimes, we don't ever revisit those things, but God sure revisits them. And He answers and meets those needs. When that happens, do you see it just as a need that is met or do you see it as an opportunity to brag on the Lord about something he's done in your life? Now Paul describes a few things to us, and I want you to notice the benefit of our thanksgiving. uh, Basically, let me boil down what Paul's saying. He's saying God's good to us. God provides for us. We're rich people because we've got a good God, and He cares for us, and He meets our needs. And that's the reason that we give thanks. But then notice he begins to talk about something else. The benefit of our thanksgiving. He says in verse number 13, "Whilst by the experiment of this ministration..." They glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men and by their prayer for you which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. Here's three things that it does when you give thanks to God. Believe it or not, this works in other months than November. It works year round. And when you talk about the things that God has given you, and I don't just mean uh, this Thursday gathered around a table and holding hands with your loved ones. I'm not discouraging that. By all means, do that. I think that's a good tradition. I think we ought to keep it up. But I'm talking about on Friday, after you come out of Black Friday with all your battle scars and everything and the things you've spent money on. I'm talking about on Saturday when you're trying to uh, sleep off the, the the turkey and the dressing. I'm talking about Sunday when you come back in. I'm talking about the rest your. Of your week, the rest of your month, the rest of the year, the rest of your life. Y'all try these things because there's three things that result when we talk about what God has done for us. Notice in verse number 13, the first part, the profession that it authenticates. He says it. Notice again, while by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection under the gospel of Christ. You know what he's talking about, don't you? I I mean, today we have this mentality of, you know, God calls a missionary and we send them out and we pay the bill that way. We don't have to try to win people, you know. (laughs) But in that time, of course, every church member, and it ought to be this way today, every church member was a missionary. Every person was trying to reach someone with the gospel. And as they went about their daily lives and they professed to know Christ and they professed to the power of the gospel, when people saw them giving thanks, you know what it told them? It told them that God was real and that God was working in the lives of His people. It's interesting that Paul says your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ. He's talking about their profession. They had claimed that their life was different. They weren't pagans anymore. They weren't heathens anymore. They weren't worshipping the gods of Greece or the gods of Rome any longer. They had changed. They had turned to Jesus Christ. But how would the people around them know that? Well, they could take them at their... Word, or they could notice God working in their life and the attitude that they had of gratefulness and thanksgiving day in and day out. Let me tell you something. There's no better way to show someone how real your God is than to talk about what He's doing in your life day in and day out. They can argue with your theology. They can argue uh, with uh, your standards. They can argue with the church you go to or the Bible that you read. But there's not much I can say about your testimony of what God is doing in your life. When you say, man, you know, I prayed about this and there was no way this could happen, but God met that need, that says something that all the theology in the world can't say to a lost person. When you say, man, I was troubled about this and I prayed and I I put it in God's hands and He wrapped His arms around me and He gave me peace and He gave me strength, that says something that nothing else can say. And what it does, it causes other people to glorify God because they look and they see that your God's real and that He's working in your life. We see the profession... Uh, that it authenticates, but we see the provision that it affords when we're thankful. It says in verse number 13, the next phrase, and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. Now again, he's talking about folks glorifying God because of their thanksgiving and because of the ministry that God is doing through them. And I'll go ahead and tell you that this is sort of a point by proxy, because what he's saying is this, as God is blessing you, you are blessing other people. We ought to be doing that, don't you think so? I believe that we're all stewards of what God has given us. We don't own anything except Jesus Christ. In Him we own everything. I'm aware of that. But we don't own anything. It's been given to us, entrusted to you and I, that we might use it for the glory of God. And he's saying this, when you take that and invest in the lives of others, and impact other people's lives, or, or they begin to hear about how that God is working in your life, and God is, is prospering you that you might do a work in someone else's life, they'll point towards heaven and say, man, their God must be real. You know, I, I'm convinced the philosopher believed God was dead because some Christians probably acted like He was. You know, maybe if we just get to the place where we acted like God was real and sitting in heaven and and seated on His throne and in control, Maybe if we just start acting again like the things, the good things in our life, like they didn't come from the person whose hand was used to deliver it or they didn't come by happenstance or by by chance or by good fortune or even by our hard work. Maybe if we were honest enough to admit when something good happens in our life, it's been the good hand of God that's done it. Maybe when somebody says, hey, I appreciate that that you did, if we were to point towards heaven and say, I couldn't have done it if God hadn't let me do it. Maybe if someone, if you, uh, you might be a blessing to someone. You might buy a turkey to someone for someone this week. You, you might go and, and, and give a gift card for someone this week. You, you might go and, and help someone this week. I hope that you do those things. When they turn to you and say, thank you so much, you ought to look to them and say, thank the God of heaven. He's the one that enabled me to be able to do that. We see not only the provision that it affords, and then finally, I want you to notice the prayers that it occasions. Verse number 14, he says this, "...and by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you." I think there's several ways that that phrase, long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you, I think there's several ways that that can be taken. But I'll tell you the way that strikes my mind and heart that I want to share with you is i I think that there's uh, he's talking about believers praying for those that God is using, and you know what he's saying He's saying that they look at you and they begin to pray for you because they can see that God is doing a work in your life and through you. I'm more encouraged to pray for someone that I know is serving god i'll I'll admit that i'm i'm not listen i'm not I'm not too spiritual to admit that. I, you know, we we get, and some of you may have seen, I was sitting there reading missionary letters. We get missionary letters all the time. You wouldn't believe the number of missionary letters we get from missionaries that we don't even support, that just, just send us letters. I've got friends in ministry, and I've got family that love God and that are serving Him. And I'll go ahead and tell you, and you know this to be true, people that you know are serving God, you have more of a tendency to pray for them. You know the burdens they're bearing. You understand that, that maybe even there's a degree of them doing something you wish you yourself were doing as well. You see, when we give thanks to God, you know what it does? It reminds people that God is alive. But it reminds people that God is working through us and we covet and need their prayers desperately. Let me put this simple in our closing statement here. You want people to pray for you? Brag on God. You want people to pray for you? Brag on the Lord. You want people to pray for you, let people know that you're trying to serve God and you're trying to live for I'm not talking about bragging. I'm talking about bragging on Him. I'm not talking about saying, well, I did this and I did that and I did this and I did that. I'm talking about saying, listen to what God did in my life. Listen to what God did in someone else's life. Listen to what God opened a door for me to do. See, our thanksgiving is a powerful thing. In fact, I titled the ministry, not the ministry. Of thanksgiving, because I believe it's just that. I believe that it ministers. That's what it says in it. Look back in verse number 13. Whilst by the experiment of this what? Ministration? It is a ministry to have gratitude and to give thanks to the God of heaven. Hey, God's been good to you. You ought to tell somebody about that. You might be amazed the impact that it could have in their life this week. Their heads bowed with their eyes closed as the musician comes to the piano. The altar's open. You know, maybe you just want to slip down and thank God for what He's done in your life. Uh, Maybe there's something in particular that God has done for you this week or last week or or something that God particularly brought to your mind that He's done for you lately and you just want to slip down and, and thank Him for it. Maybe it's just been the pattern of the faithfulness of God in your life as you've been touched and comforted and encouraged by how much God meets your needs. You want to slip forward and thank Him for that. Or maybe, maybe, just maybe, it's the fact that He is faithful day in and day out, and you know you can lean on Him. The comfort of that promise. You say, I just want to thank God for that. As she begins to play, the altar's open, some are down here praying, who else would come?